Find Your Faith with the Find Your Faith podcast. Hey everyone, today I'm just really keen to share with you the knowledge and experiences that I've developed over about 20 years racing, training, through life, and life can be brutally tough at times, and also with my studies. Today's discussion is about the foundations and psychology of performance, and not just performance when it comes to racing, but performance in anything that we aspire to do, our craft or our ambitions of where we wish to master. I truly believe that if we can understand these foundations and think about our performance as a very long-term perspective, then we can find our feet and fly. There was quite a bit of honesty and openness in this discussion on my behalf about some of my own experiences and some of the stories that I've had along the way, but it also has Jess's voice, Jess, a new colleague at Find Your Feet, and just 21 years of age. Jess has become a really good friend of mine as well because we see eye to eye in that we both believe that playfulness is a key part of performing and performing wilder. This discussion went off on some tangents that I didn't expect to go and to be honest I was more open and raw with some of my experiences than I probably expected to be but I'm happy with that as long as it can help you all to find your feet. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation and let's get stuck into it with Jess and myself. Thanks. <laughs> Alrighty, well, we've turned the tables a little bit here today, um, just after the release of Hanny's new training resources and guidebook, we thought it would be really helpful for you guys to get a bit more of an understanding about the process behind writing these resources and also go into a bit more depth about what Hanny has written in the resources. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm Jessica, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your podcast, Hanny. It's awesome to have you, Jess, and thank you for standing up and being the brave one to yeah put your voice out there and help us to share these really important messages with our community that's growing really quickly day by day and um, for that I'm really grateful guys thanks heaps for supporting us yeah so on that I guess we could start with the process even of how you decided to start writing these resources or like what what inspired you and then the process of actually writing them what did that look like for you yeah I think putting the resources out into the community really is at the roots and the heart of what find your feet was so it's been um, it's been a really long journey since 2009 when I started the business but uh, we've always been known for being there and supporting particularly adults in the sport of trail running to find their feet and achieve whatever ambitions they've set themselves. Mm. So I guess like the guidebook this year has been an evolution of like, yeah, probably nearly eight or nine years of hard work. I, mm. I always felt um, a bit trapped in my own head until very recently, like, 
when you've been in the industry for so long, like there's a lot of little lessons that add up and add up and add up and eventually make you feel like you're a tank full of water and you desperately feel like it's about to burst. And so for me, I think I just really got to the point where I recognized that I needed to write down pretty much as much of what I could that was in my head in a really short, succinct way for people so that it could become like a go-to resource so um, I never really, I never really planned it to be this amazing read that um, would you know hold your attention from start to finish. I just really wanted it to be that little like mini find your feet encyclopedia that yeah people could keep coming back to. Um, yeah. But I actually started like I've had this job <laughs> job I call it a job. I've had this task <laughs> on my like to do list for quite a long while, and it, it took me a long while to pluck up the courage because of my own imposter syndrome um mm-hmm. you know I you know I know I do know deep in my heart somewhere that what the way I teach and the theories that I teach do work um and do work really strongly across the board with everyone um but I still think there's always a part of you no matter how professional you are that sort of is like why you you know why why you entitled to kind of put this out there so um, it was in Chamonix actually on a running tour where, you know, you have the opportunity to just run wild on the mountain trails with people that um, as I was talking about a lot of these concepts, I started to really realise that, yeah, my tank was about to burst. And so, yeah, I'd get up every morning, you know, at the crack of dawn before it got light and I'd sit out on the, on the deck with my laptop watching the sun sort of come up onto Mont Blanc and um, just started writing my thoughts down and, once the process started, it just felt so right. And yeah. um, and it was such an appropriate place to really start the process. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's definitely been a, a big job and a scary one. And I think I didn't sleep particularly well after we released <laughs> it because I was really concerned about how people would embrace this in the community. But I think it's been um, incredible, like so overwhelming, the support that we've received. Yeah. And I I feel now really confident that it's it's just a starting point and I feel really empowered to continue to do my absolute best to help people find their feet and then stay on them. Yeah. It's important for me to also remind you that the only way I can continue to bring these podcasts to you is through the amazing support of our business, Find Your Feet and the community that we represent. Our Find Your Feet store is an outdoor athletic store. We stock a range of products from travel, trail running, outdoor adventures, hiking, you name it, we've probably got it. And we try to bring the most ethical brands to you both in fair trade environments, but right through to environmental support. So our brands, we do believe we stock the best. Um, We also believe that the products that they make are going to be long lasting and out there on wild adventures with you over many, many years to come. So please uh, continue to support Find Your Feet, www.findyourfeet.com.au. We free express ship all around the country for anything over $100 and we'd really love it if you can join our wild community. Thank you. 
At this point in the conversation, I also just really want to emphasize the excitement that I have for my new role in the Travel Play Live Women's Adventure Magazine Women's Adventure Grant. Kez and Amy, two women from Sydney, uh, rock my socks. They are, they, they are everything that I aspire to be as a female and a female supporting uh, adventurous women in Australia. So this adventure grant, they've got four different grants on, on offer. So we have a creative grant, a women who are supporting a charitable cause. We've got a young women's grant and we've got a women's over the age of 50 grant that you can all apply for. The grants are also being funded by generous donations from the community and the business sector. And all of this is available for if you can go and support the grants through Possible, but you can also access uh, the grant and more information about it through the Travel Play Live website. Look, I don't feel like the most adventurous woman out there. I mean, I haven't run across a continent and I haven't climbed to the summit of the highest peak, but the, the girls, Amy and Kez, they wanted to have a woman that hopefully you can identify with and someone that you yeah, can look up to in a way that you're like, look, I can do that too. Look, I don't really know if I'm that girl, but I really do hope that everything that I'm doing out here through my resources, through the podcast, through Find Your Feet, and really also my own little mini adventures can help to inspire you to play wild. So be wild, jump on that fun, um, Travel Play Live website and yeah, see if you can support this grant. I'm pretty excited and I know that it's going to help you girls and, and guys um, go on some super wild adventures. Well, I guess going off that idea of a starting point one of the things that I found reading the guidebook and the training resources is just how much there is beyond ready to run or it's not. Um, so I guess starting your business, was that ever planned? Was that something that you no. decided that you wanted to do? And yeah. How did that kind of then feed and like how did the start of your business then feed you into doing this sort of work as well it's a really really good question Jess um I guess I guess the thing that's really happened for me over the last two years and I will come to starting the business but over the last two years was I got to a place where I realized that I needed to I really needed to find myself. Like I think I'd found my feet as an athlete to some degree, but I realised that beyond the running and beyond being seen as an athlete, I wasn't exactly sure who Hanny was. Uh, I felt that the tomboy, playful, very happy-go-lucky creature that grew up on a farm south of Hobart in my youth uh, had somehow got quite lost and almost distorted into a person that was shooting themselves a lot and feeling like I was being very much defined by both myself but also my community as being an elite athlete and that was a pretty hard place to get to and I think to have lived that way for probably 15 years of my life um, had led to a lot of really bad habits that weren't leading me in a direction of holistic health 
And, you know, I can now openly talk about the fact that I suffered from eating disorders and some mental health challenges, and it was all based around this very strong internal pressure that I was always putting myself under. Mm. But I think that was also stemming from, like, a very strong external pressure um, and a very, very strong um, fear of missing out on opportunities. So Mm. FOMO, which I think a lot of people identify with. Yeah, definitely. So I guess kind of where we've got to now is that a lot of what I write about is personal experiences. And um, just just this week, I had my final session with my performance mentor who I've been working with for a couple of years. And he sort of said to me, like, does it ever cross your mind about like what you feel you could have achieved as an athlete had you known what you know now and been able to implement that? you know, earlier on in your athletic career when, you know, I was like right on the fringe of making like Olympic qualifying times for the marathon. Um, And that's a pretty hard, that's a pretty hard question to get thrown, but I think you can look at it in two ways. You can let it get you down or you can let it motivate you to make sure that you're doing your absolute best to help other people on the right pathway and on the right journey. So I think like a lot of what I'm talking about and sharing and, um, doing with the Hanny Alston brand now and with Find Your Feet is just really driven by this deep, deep belief that I want to help people not fall into the same holes that I fell into yeah. and also to experience some of the same amazing highs that I've been fortunate enough to experience. Um, so Find Your Feet, no, you know, it, it never started... It, it certainly never was a business. Even when I won the business of businesswoman of the year for 2015, like I did not see that coming because I didn't see myself as a businesswoman. Um, I really just started in 2009. I got back to Hobart and I'd been teaching and racing all over the world and studying and none of it kind of felt right and I, I felt very lost in my soul and I mm. kept finding myself saying to my friends, like, you know, I'm just trying to find my feet. And it was at a time when I saw lots of adults like cruising up Mount Wellington and training for the Point to Pinnacle event, making it look like lonely was probably the way that comes to mind, but also like a little bit uncomfortable, you know, yeah. as I watched their running styles and choice of shoes and all of those small little decisions. <laughs> and I just had this like absolute awakening of maybe I just needed to put all these people in one place, um, yeah. which was the parks of Hobart. Let's play primary school running games teach them some skills and and almost use that as a chance to kind of stall the big life decisions and give me time to kind of make make some decisions of my own so um yeah day one I I had one lady sitting on the steps of our meeting place (laughs) Um, and the only reason why she turned up was I tapped her on the shoulder earlier that day as she was puddling along the pipeline track um and said please come along tonight and let me help you yeah literally (laughs) and you know so day one I didn't even earn the five dollars that I was entitled to because I told her I didn't want to accept her money um so yeah so from very very humble beginnings you know I've been Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to to be on a really wild journey um and I think the only person who ever saw it leading someone was actually my mum and she was always the one who said you know I really do believe that through all your soul searching and you know after that point I I did life coaching and I studied paramedics and I started a master's and then I started a PhD and like I've like I did a lot of searching after that 2009 moment but 
she was always the one that was like, I think all, all your roads are going to end up leading you back to find your feet. Yeah. And, um, and it's probably only right now that I'm starting to really <laughs> believe her and, and see the same um, journey going forward that she can see. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few things there that I sort of <laughs> want to touch on and I don't really know where to start first, but I guess something that sticks out for me that I find really interesting um, about you particularly is how intrinsically motivated and driven you are to do these things and and to do what you do and, and to continue to like work hard and build this business and grow. And it just looks like you are doing so much all the time. Um, and I want to know how you find the energy and the motivation and to be able to continue doing these crazy things like we see on social media all the time. You're constantly out there somewhere in Tassie exploring or releasing new resources or writing new articles. And um, it's seriously inspiring. But do we all have to go through that really dark night of the soul for lack of a better word like a really dark period in order to dig to dig deep within ourselves and find that own motivation or do you think that it's different for everybody I mean I think everyone is different I think we all have different motivators um and I was brought up to be quite an independent thinker and in a family in a family that had very, very strong values, particularly my father, who was a very deep thinker and felt emotionally felt a lot of things. And I think that kind of softer, very um, like slightly emotional creature probably comes from that side of my family. But mm. I I do believe that deep change, big change does come from a place of pain like from getting to a point where you know that you need to change um I don't know anyone and I know that there are quite a few other people out there who also believe this that who have made large changes when it hasn't come from that place Mm -hmm. of yikes like this is Pain is not just a physical pain or an emotional pain, but it can be fear. Uh, it can be um, uprooted, and that's certainly what happened to me at points in my life where mm. um, through whatever reason, family, um, growing up, I was uprooted and my rocks were moved. and yeah. <laughs> I was forced into a place of change. And I think when that happens to you, you do learn to turn either inward to yourself and your own strengths or you learn to turn to your support networks. And um, But there were times in my life where I didn't have those support networks and so I really did have to learn how to rely on my own survival instincts um, yeah. to, to support me. So I think that's kind of served me pretty well. Um, but I think that there's another... There's a similar concept that's very, very different to deep change, which is growth. And I think growth can happen from a place of positivity. Mm. And I definitely think that, say, two years ago when I started realising that I needed to, to work out who Hanny was and that doing that deep self-work, that came from a place of pain um, where I just sat up one day and went, 
I'm about to burn out if I don't make some big decisions. So mm. you're right, like a lot of what I've done has not been sustainable. Um, and so the last two years have definitely been trying to get onto a pathway that I feel is leading me towards the person that I want to be. Um, but then after that kind of initial point of embarking on this process, then it, then it kicked into growth. And that was coming from excitement and understanding that I was learning more and more about my values and people like yourself were coming into connection with me that were creating like incredible opportunities to grow in a really positive way with both myself and the business. So yeah, I, in answer to your question, yeah, I mean, I'm an incredibly busy person, (laughs) but I love it that way. And I have now, I have the internal drive. I now have the support networks around me. And I also have, yeah, like this really strong beckoning to kind of do something with the journey that I've been on and the knowledge that I do kind of hope humbly you know I'm carrying around with me that other people could benefit from yeah totally I can definitely resonate with that myself like once you sort of get in alignment with what your true values are then the hard work it doesn't feel like hard work you know because you're excited to do it and you just want to go out and keep experiencing and keep growing and keep exploring and then once you sort of put yourself in that place where you're happy just living your own life then those things like the support networks and the people come to you it's almost like you know that you bring that and then yeah like you were saying then you grow and you can do all these incredible things yeah and you're spot on Jess like I definitely think that's when you know you've reached a point of maturity because I think early on when you haven't matured into that strong sense of self, you grab at opportunities that come your way. And there have been times, for example, in my coaching career where um, someone who I really respect and I still very strongly respect approached me and said that, you know, look, honey, I've been watching you for quite a while and I really believe that you could be smarter around your coaching um, and I don't know whether I was like walking around like a hobo, but he had obviously <laughs> picked up that I was pretty much making absolutely nothing. And I was working every day, long days, mm. <clears throat> really driven to help people, but probably wasn't on a sustainable business model at that point. Well, no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he approached me and, and said, how about I'm a business advisor. How about I sit down with you and I'll help you to create a coaching model that you know, gives you an income effectively. Mm. And I'd never, you know, because I'd never seen myself as a businesswoman, it had never even occurred to me that I needed to think about running a business. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, maybe the time is right. So this is when I was in Canberra, um, still just working at the Australian Institute of Sport. And um, he came down and we sat down and we nutted out this process that if I took on clients and coached them writing their training plans um, week to week. I could charge them $25 a week. Um, So every week I would send them their training plan by email um, or through an online system. That would pay me $25 a week. And then every few weeks we would have a chat on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that kind of sounds cool. And he goes, so if you get to 50 clients, this is how much you'll be earning. And I was like, oh, Anyway, so I started down this line and I have never in my life been so stressed um, ever. I felt like I'd become the McDonald's of coaching. 
because I couldn't even remember who all my clients were. Mm. I was getting all their events muddled up. I couldn't remember whether it was Tom was doing this or Harry was doing that or Jane was doing this. Um, So I had a cheat sheet on the wall. And then if you got sick or you got to those days where your mojo just ran out and you just you just couldn't do it, you know, the panic would set in that I still had to service like 50 people for yeah. the next week. And it, I couldn't see how this was ever leading me to growing as a person, but more to the point and more important to this conversation and why I don't write personal training programs anymore is that I couldn't work out how it was helping the people. Because what I found was that most people who approach a coach are rocky in their sense of self. Like they're turning to you almost like a band-aid or a quick fix because my life is so busy or because of this or because, um, you know, for whatever reason, pain has set in, discomfort has set in and you're being brought in to kind of often, yeah, get people back on the straight and narrow. And I just felt like there was no there was no education in that. There was no learning in that for them, nor for me, because it was just stalemating my opportunity to um, grow and even do the things that I love. So that to me was just one example of like in you before you reach this point of maturity and understanding your sense of self, like people will approach you and you will always be thrown opportunities. And I was the kind of girl that would just grab at all of them and cross my fingers and pray they worked. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas now I've got to the point where my values are really strong and what I believe in that I can more easily um, go, no, you know, not right. Um, And I can more easily go, yeah, today is the right day, you know. So sometimes you're saying no to an opportunity. Sometimes you're saying no to an opportunity at that moment in time. And sometimes you're saying no to an opportunity just in the structure that it's been presented to you. Yeah. Um, because then that allows you to say yes. And like, yes, with like this deep excitement where you're just like, yep, get it. Yep, mm. bring it on. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess also with that, um, with that way of coaching as well, it totally overlooks the uniqueness and individuality of each person. Like if a coach is just giving out the same training plan to every single person and just adjusting maybe like distances or times or amount of training, then it's overlooking so much about that person as them as a unique individual. Like, And I, I have lots on that. I mean, um, yes, absolutely. And I, from going through that experience now, I'm, I'm really grateful that I had that experience because yeah. I know it is not possible to coach that many people and really do a good job. Yeah. You, you do. You have to get lazy because your time is precious. And even if you worked 24 hours a day, I still don't think you would be able to keep up with the real time and the fast-paced lives of modern people in today's society, mm. especially modern high-performing achievers who are normally the kind of people that you attract because their lives whirl at a million miles an hour. And I was always terrified that I would miss something. I'd miss that crucial sign that said this person is about to get injured, which is my main my main fear. Um, and I wouldn't be able to live with myself, like knowing that I'd made calls and judgments that had led to someone's you know, pain and discomfort and potentially missing their, their goals and their dreams. So, you know, it is a huge amount of responsibility to coach people in that way. 
But I can also hear that the criticism that's about to get fired back my way in having this conversation because I've just released six-month training plans and packages that are generic training plans for people um, training for the three events at the Ultra Trail Australia, one being a 100-kilometre event. And I can hear people going, well, what's the difference? Like, surely writing individual training programs is better than writing one big generic one for lots of people. But I reached the point where... I realized that I didn't want to be a coach. I wanted to be an educator. Mm. So by releasing these training packages and then spending like hours and hours and hours writing the guidebook was my solution to a bigger picture problem that a lot of people just are struggling to tune into their body and tune into their lifestyles and know what are the right decisions for me if I want to get on the pathway to being a distance athlete. So the training packages to me are a guide and I really do mean that. And they only work if you're prepared to also do the work in yourself yeah. to understand who you are, Jess, you know, um, before you are a runner. Um, I think they only work if you do read the guidebook and take on board the advice in there about when to race, when not to race, um, how to fuel yourself, like how yeah. to do the psychology work like you may find without all of that that yes you can follow that plan and quite rightly get to race day but your true your true performance will come if you put it all together Mm -hmm. um so it's been it's been a really hard decision um but the the process over the last three years of really getting to the point where I feel like the training packages are quite complete now um has also really helped me to understand my my message to the public and my message to myself, which is believing that we need to be wild in our decisions and our personal actions. So being wild is not just about, you know, being a hobo out in the mountains. It's about making daily decisions and daily actions that inspire ourselves. Then I think you need to be able to play wild. So you need to be able to drop the, the training mentality, um, the shoulds all the time and find ways where you can play like a kid, even if it's like literally going down to the park and playing on the swing set. Like I think you need to kind of have these moments where you don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. And I think only then when you've got these two abilities, the be wild and the play wild, can you really stretch yourself to perform wild because you're just going to be – you're just going to be aiming for performance on someone who's so much more confident in their own skin um, and and happy, to be honest. And I think then you can have your truest performances Um, and that's where all of the racing stuff comes into play. So I think kind of my message to people and my message to myself and one reason why I have stepped back from racing is because I really wanted to make sure that I could be wild and play wild So that if I ever go back to racing, like I can do it in a way where I really want to be there and I really know I can get the best out of myself. Yeah. 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 So do you reckon now having written the guidebooks and and your training resources, do you reckon there will be racing in the future (laughs) or? Um, I, I don't know. Like 
I definitely right now just want to live in the moment yeah. and, and enjoy all the really exciting opportunities that sitting on my doorstep like right now. Yeah. But there's a little part of me, a seed of me somewhere that knows that I'm not really done. Yeah. Um, and that's just because I know that I undermined my performance as an athlete because of my inability to nurture my soul and nurture my health. Mm. Um, and so knowing that, yeah, there's, there is a bit of me that's like still wants to perform. Now, whether that's in the racing mentality or whether that's in my own wild adventures, which it probably will be, mm. um, I really still want to get one day to a point where I am proud of the athlete that I am. Mm. Um, so every day now, I every week I try to kind of make sure that I'm putting myself closer towards that pathway so that if that moment feels right, um, it will be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and that brings in things like, yeah, your nutrition and your relationships and your work and its sustainability and the people that you bring into your support network, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, because yeah, I guess um, to bring in a bit of my own personal experience with reading your resources, it definitely opened up a side of running to me that I had never even contemplated was possible before because I have had experience with training for a few races um but they were like hiking I don't know if anyone would know the Kokoda challenge it's mm. quite it's in the Gold Coast and it's like 96 k's and I did it with my father and we just hiked it but I put a lot of pressure on training myself to be super fit for that race with no external support like with no guidance from a professional and I got myself to a place where I was actually really really sick um and I didn't even pick up on the early signs of it because I just had no idea I had the mentality of harder faster go 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 if you're feeling fatigued and tired then it's a sign that you're working hard and I was definitely absorbing a lot of mainstream media of, of, of promoting that mentality. And I didn't, I, I didn't realize that there was anything wrong with what I was doing because I would look and, and think that that's what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Like, how would you, how would you know what other options are available to you? Because like, sorry to butt in, but okay. <laughs> this is this is why Find Your Feet started and yeah. well, really started in its new trajectory because um, I was an elite athlete and I was even struggling to find that information. Um, I worked at the Australian Institute of Sport for the year leading up to the London Olympics and at the time I was getting back into my running and I'd actually got back to the place where I was on Australian teams from orienteering. I was winning and breaking records in trial running events in Australia um, I was back down to, you know, running sub nine and a half minutes for my three kilometres. Like I was a pretty talented athlete. And when I tried to knock on doors to get access to support, say, at the Tasmanian Institute of Sport in a pretty small state when, you know, like, yeah. But that that information wasn't available even to me. Mm. Um, I was rejected because I wasn't in an Olympic sport and I wasn't an Olympian. 
Um, and the only way that the non-Olympic sports athletes could access that information was when they were, they were winning medals. Well, by the time you're winning medals, you generally have got yourself in a place where you pretty much know what you're doing. Mm. Um, you know, I guess trying to not blanket it, but that that's exactly, you know, where you're at. It's the athletes that are below that, particularly to me, recreational adults um, that need the most support. And I really felt that it was important to bring that elite information down to our level and make that more accessible to everyone in an unbiased way. And it was another decision why I didn't pursue sponsorships um, for a long while or um, partnerships too much because I wanted to make sure that I was unbiased in in what I was promoting and what I was telling people. Mm. Um, so that people like yourself, when you, you have your dreams, which are just as important as any elite athlete, any Olympian, your goals are no less important than theirs. So just because that person can run faster or jump higher or swim quicker doesn't mean that their goal is more important than yours and doesn't mean that they're any more entitled to support and education and information than you are. Mm. So I really feel strongly that that's kind of really at the heart and root of what I do now yeah. um, and what motivates me to get out of bed every day and yeah. <laughs> write books and put together these resources and that's kind of where I want it to lead. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Because I guess then since getting like knowledge from you it is quite simple like some of the basic foundations of nutrition and um and training and running technique once you sort of have these these little tips they can change everything like and it might not seem so like if you're reading through the guidebook and you're just like oh you know this little part like I should really watch my hydration or making sure I'm drinking enough like that was a big thing for me. Like I would go out and maybe go for a run for like two hours or something in Queensland heat with maybe 500 mils of water and then wonder why I got home. <laughs> like I feel so bad right now. And like it wasn't just the water. It was the fact that I wasn't taking electrolytes and I wasn't – I didn't understand how to use sport nutrition effectively and it really – didn't make me want to run anymore which was really sad because I loved running and I'm just like I can't do it if I feel like this all the time yeah. then there's yeah you're right Jess <laughs> because the human body is an incredibly complicated thing especially when you start adding the mind as well but often the solutions are really really simple mm. and I think what has happened in more recent times is that mainstream marketing by the big powerhouse marketing companies, particularly when it comes to things like nutrition, have really complicated our understanding of the simple processes of looking after ourselves and yeah. the body and leading to our performances. So, yeah, I think that that to me, um, you know, that I, that I definitely have brought a fairly new way of thinking into the market in terms of preparing for your goals and big events, particularly in trail running and ultra running but I do think that the principles lead themselves to any kind of distance or ultra distance sport mm. um, like I would love the opportunity to work with swimmers and rollers to prove some of these theories mm. um, 
you know, I've been the coach of, I began coaching the Ultra Trail Australia 100 events actually three or four years ago when it was still the North Face 100. And I was given the opportunity to be the, um, the main coaching provider for the event. And but when I was doing that, I was doing a lot of this one-to-one coaching with people. And I clearly remember this guy coming to me and saying that he was going to enter the 100 and would I help coach him. And by this point, it was January. So we only had about four or five months to go. And I said to him, like, fabulous. Like, this is great. This is exciting. So, like, what has brought you to this point of wanting to enter this race? And his response was that he felt really fit. I said, oh, super. You know, thinking this is great. We've got a a base in, which is really important. I said, what do you do to keep fit? And he said, I'm a bodybuilder. And I was like, right, so do you run? And he said, oh, I do about five kilometers a week on the treadmill. And he was really proud of this fact. And I was just like, oh, no. (laughs) How do you take these? And and that was one example of like, I I can't even count them. Like so many people who maybe had run 20K, maybe 25, maybe 10. Maybe they'd walked 100K but never run 100K. But like how do you, how could I take these people up into those longer distances if I take the old school normal mentality of training in Australia that's very much around like this straight line build on build on build on build and eventually you get to race day yeah because what was more evident to me by working with adults was these people work or they have kids or they work for themselves they might be a building laborer they might do shift work like there were so many other stresses in their lives that would not only impact on their time but also their energy. Yeah. And then when there was a limited energy, that impacted on their ability to recover. Mm. And then I started to get adults who were in their 70s coming to me, wanting coaching and wanting to do a 50 or 100K. And I suddenly had to think about, like, how are these older people going to be actually recovering? Yeah. Um, can they recover at the same pace as you or I? Mm. Um, can I recover at the same pace as you, Jess, who's 10 years my junior? Like, mm. these are the kinds of decisions that I started to realise, like, were really complex. Yeah. Um, and so that led me to kind of this concept of the wave training, which you can read more about in the guidebook, but was about this concept of flowing from your moderate, more doable weeks into your harder weeks and then finishing off with an easy week, which you could use to build up towards this big playful missions on the weekends. Yeah. And that was where the long distance came into it. And I found that once I started coaching adults like this, like I actually never was seeing any stress-related injuries. And in the um, two years of surveys that we've done now, last year was on 1,700 individuals who downloaded our UTA resources, which is just ridiculous in an event of 4,000 people who enter it. Um, We weren't seeing any evidence of people who suffered overtraining symptoms, stress symptoms, um, in the six months lead up to those events. So... I do honestly, honestly in my heart believe that this way of coaching people works um, and that if people can wrap their heads around the concepts and start to be willing to listen to their bodies and their lifestyles yeah. and demands, the stresses that are in their lifestyles and work in sync with those, not against them, that people can achieve their true potential using this kind of training methodology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely <clears throat> sorry i definitely agree with that that 
you know, like you as an individual, you I know deep down that you know what's best for you and what what your sort of like what what tricks almost in a way that you're telling yourself mm-hmm. is to like getting to the bottom of maybe like why you're training and why you're doing what you're doing and and when you feel like disease in your body or symptoms of overtraining then coming back to that place of 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 why why am I doing this and why am I pushing past a point where it's really uncomfortable yeah that's exactly right Jess Mm. because I think the the purpose of the guidebook is to to impart the knowledge the the basic principles the basic foundations the basic understanding of things especially to do with training and the concepts of overtraining so what are the symptoms of overtraining Um, because I think once you have that knowledge inside of you then you can start to tap into the the signs that your body is giving you. Mm. Um, and that's harder. That's much harder. Like it's very, very easy to pull out a training program out of a magazine and follow it. But it's much harder to kind of just take a step back and listen into yourself. But if you can recognize some of these things, then you're going to be able to make decisions that move you closer towards where you want to be. Um, so... I guess an example of that is when it comes to overtraining. Um, So I've worked with a lot of adults and like I said, most adults who want coaches or support come to you when they reach a point of pain and they're trying to make a positive change in the direction of their ambitions. So I often screen my clients that I've worked with to make sure that they're like, I understand where we're coming from, where we're starting from. So I was getting a lot of adults who, when I tapped into like, are you sleep, like the signs and symptoms of overtraining. So like, are you sleeping well and steady through the night? Um, Have you lost weight or gained weight? What's your appetite like? What's your moods like? Are you reacting to your wife the way you normally would like to react to her or your husband? Mm. Um, Are you snappy with your children? Do you feel stressed at work? Like, do you have any muscle aches, joint pains? They're all the signs and symptoms of overtraining. Um, and then when there were more than two or three that were happening concurrently at the same point in time, I would my alarm bells would go off and I would start to think like, hang on a second, like I think this person may be at a point of overtraining. And then you'd throw this at them and you'd say like, I think this is happening. What do you think? And almost always these adults would come back to me and say, oh, no, like I couldn't, I couldn't possibly be. Like I've only done 20 kilometres of running in a week. And normally it was in kilometres or 50 kilometres of running or I've only run four days a week. But overtraining is not, it's not labelled properly. It should be over life. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, it's when you get an accumulation of stressors in your life all concurrently happening at the same time and your body's ability to respond to those stresses um, isn't keeping up. Mm. And so this comes because the body deals with every stress, whether it's a physical training stress, an emotional family stress, a difficult workplace stress, it will deal with all of them in exactly the same way. Yeah. It has one physiological response to deal with stress and that's fight or flight. So when you add in training on full-time work, on being a mum or dad or single dad or single mum, 
um, or uh, something challenging is happening in your life emotionally or you may just have had like you were telling me about earlier Jess like an incredible weekend full of awesome opportunities but all of them hitting you at the same time yeah. so over positive stresses yeah that's what I was going to yeah. touch on like that there's exactly. this perception that it's always going to be emotionally no straight like that you're yeah. going to be upset or that you're going to be like no, angry stress or can be not. stress can be awesome yeah like, <laughs> as in what's happening so you know coming back where I first met you in Japan on our running tour um previous to that I was in Chamonix on a running tour like these are fabulous opportunities like I just had my wedding before that you know we'd been on a trip to Finland just before that like all awesome all amazing um life experiences but probably too many all in one go mm. um I came back feeling overtrained even though my volumes were lower I was probably sleeping still even more but I'd just been on the go for a long while mm. and so my body was showing the signs and symptoms of overtraining these people that I was coaching were showing the signs and symptoms of overtraining but because of the way it's worded people wouldn't or couldn't recognize that they were overtrained so again, going back and tying back into the concept of wave training and the physiology of that was that I really do believe it's important to break these stress cycles before they're in full force. So every three weeks or so, people ground, earth, go easier on themselves, take the pedal off, stop the shoulds, add in coulds, mm. look to ways that they can get themselves recovering and back in full bounce mode so that when they go out on the weekend to do these big long training missions or adventurous opportunities like they're there and they're raring to go and their toes are tingling badly like and that's I think when you have and that's how I play these days is like build up for these things like get you get yourself like super ready to go know how to fuel yourself like you talk about know how to drink know what gear you need like make all those decisions use the guidebook to to help you mm. so that when you are out there doing it you are in love like yeah. literally yeah yeah so is that kind of like the purpose of the missions are they really just like this culmination of of everything that you've learned and you've been sort of like working towards but then it's kind of like the biggest playtime as well like yeah like I don't even know where to start with missions like (laughs) and everyone who gets into this phase says that they're the thing that they just look forward to the most I was gonna say because I actually would I'd never cut a mission like I'd always want to go and do the the big long like big plays and I'd be like oh maybe I don't have to go for that little one hour run but the missions for me were the things that I I loved the most so if you're not someone who wants to race the missions are like the reward for the daily work that goes in to getting yourself ready to do them Mm. um so and also for like holding fast in you know, busy lives and um, being an adult, responsible adult, that every three weeks you can, I mean, you can play in those three weeks. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I play a lot, but you still, there's an element of routine around yeah. our lives to make sure that we get all of those things done. But every three weeks you can like crack those shackles off and just put on your vest pack or grab your bike or your climbing gear and go off and do it and know that when you're in it, you're physically rested you're mentally rested, you're emotionally present, you're carrying the equipment, the food, the nutrition that you know you need. Mm. So that that opportunity is like wonderful. 
Brilliant. I don't even know what's more than wonderful. Like, think of a word that's more than wonderful and that's that's what it should be. Like, um, and it also, too, fits in with people with their busy lives. Like, if you have a wife or a partner that doesn't run and maybe you've got kids, you can't expect that they're going to hold, hold fort every weekend while you go off and do your big, long run. Mm. Like, and I was seeing families that were breaking or coming to breaking point because of one person's need to always do this. Mm. But most partners are very happy to see their husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend out there loving life every three weeks because they come home and they're so bouncy and so excitable that that's infectious and they feed off that and there's a purpose to it so straight away I felt like it was more doable you know you could plan ahead and you could you could get buy-in from your support network and and then know when you're out there that you're feeling loved and supported in doing what you're doing yeah um so there was there was definitely an element of that um when it comes to performance, like to me, the missions, like the most important thing about a mission is building confidence. So if, um, if you're going out there and you are fatigued because you're carrying that over from training or a busy life, then um, the risk is that you actually have a negative experience, um, that after an hour or two or whatever it is, you feel heavy, you feel tired, you feel lethargic, you're wondering what you're going to have for breakfast and you just kind of or on survival mode. Yeah. When you have those kinds of experiences, two things that happen. One is it doesn't take you closer towards the person you want to be. Two, you come back and the first thought you'll have, beat your boots, as soon as you've had breakfast and a shower and started to recover is, I'm not fit enough. I'm not prepared enough. I'm not ready enough. Most likely, you're over-ready, over-prepared, but you're carrying so much fatigue that that's masking or the inability to fuel yourself or whatever it is, is masking your true potential at that mm. point in time. Mm. So people come back and they think, I've got to train more, I've got to do more, and it starts to set this very negative cycle of, like, overtraining. Mm. Um, so overshooting and, yeah. So the mission to me is absolutely critical. Like, it, it's the place where you get a window into yourself as a person, into yourself in your preparedness for an event, say, Ultra Australia, um, and you practice what you want to do on the race, on race day so that, yeah, you're moving towards that person that you want to be when you hit the start line. Yeah. 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 I love missions. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> cool. Well, I don't know if there's anything else we wanted to. No, I mean, I think today was just about hopefully highlighting the importance of doing these goals for the right reasons um being the person that you want to be being in the driver's seat and not being afraid to be in the driver's seat so my advice to kind of everyone who is embarking on like wild adventures is um try and put put a support network around yourself so that you feel um you know, and the times when it does get tough, and it does, it, it does for all of us, does definitely does for me, that you can turn to someone and, and just, I don't know, like hand over the mojo for a bit. And um, I think that's really important. That's something I'd learn at the AIS, seeing those, those athletes and how many people were in their support networks. But sometimes it just needs to be one. It could be your dog. Like it just, just have someone who makes you 
feel good when you have those little shaky moments. Um, look after yourself and make, make daily decisions that empower yourself. So um, think about some of the habits that you don't like and maybe just pick one every week or two just to focus in on. So I've made, like, for instance, big changes to my nutrition, um, to minimising waste in the house, to um, just trying to get to bed a little bit earlier on some nights, um, to cutting the shackles with people that didn't make me feel good about myself and focusing in more on the relationships that do. Um, mm. Just little, little things. Like, they all add up and they all make you feel empowered and I think that leads to you having a stronger sense of your authenticity because authenticity is what you do when the doors are closed and no one's watching it's Mm. not what you say so I think that really does help you to feel more confident in yourself and then learn to train and play smart so not expecting that you can always be on go mode all the time Mm. because when you do hit refresh and pause um you'll come back into it just feeling so much more invigorated and ready ready to do the the hard work which which is life um, in achievement um so I think kind of that's definitely a few of the messages I wanted people to take home today and my final one is just um just warning you about FOMO or the fear of missing out um High-achieving individuals, individuals in general, anyone living in this century, um, there are so many opportunities. Like they, they are everywhere. And the rise of social media is making it only more accessible to find these opportunities. Mm. You don't have to do all of them. You don't even have to do any of them. Like You have to definitely be thinking about what's, what makes your toes tingle. Yeah. And I think if you get that bit right, then the whole process is going to feel a whole lot more sustainable because you're going to be building up towards something that you absolutely love and where you know you absolutely thrive. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so that to me is a really important message. Um, if you choose to race, just make sure that you respect the amount of load that's going to take especially when it comes to recovering afterwards. Mm. Um, so every 10K you race, you're really going to need a week's recovery. So if you're the kind of person that's just bouncing from one thing to the next, maybe you just slow down a little. Um, mm. Because I want to be like my nan, who's 93. She's just bought a bright red sports mini. She has four dogs and oh. she's still living on a property with one acre, <laughs> zooming all over the countryside. And my dad said the other day that he was paddling along the beach and he looks over his shoulder and he sees this person running along the beach chasing these dogs, thinking, wow, who's that with such a good-looking running star? And as he got closer into the shore, he realised it was my 93-year-old grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of, to me, like what, what I want us all to aspire to be like. And yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I also just have one little final note, and it's that these resources that you've provided and and made is definitely not just for people that want to do races as well. So I use them just to make sure that I can keep playing bigger or just to keep playing longer and for more years of my life. (laughs) And yeah, that makes me excited, Jess, because that's what I, 
that's what I really wanted them to be about. Like, I, I do a lot of work with the brand Patagonia. I love them. I, they are, they, to me, match my value systems. And I was mm. trying to explain to them the other day that I just want to help in any way I can for them because of this. And then the question came back at me, but aren't you focused on performance? And yes, I am. Yeah, the, the honest, truthful answer is yes, I am. I'm fascinated by performance and I'm fascinated by how we achieve excellence and mastering something and I want other people to have the opportunities to master their craft. Mm. But I honestly believe that even if you don't want to race or be an athlete, you still have to know how to perform. Yeah, because performance doesn't necessarily equal race. Exactly. It's just yeah. your craft. Mm. So if your craft is just going on early morning jogs around the waterworks and watching the sunrise on the mountain, um, that is your craft. But why aren't you still entitled to doing it in a way that makes it feel easier yeah. and feel more enjoyable and you can take yourself a little bit more seriously, like as in as in authentically yeah. when you're doing it. And you have to know the art of performance. Mm. You have to. Um, like not all climbers aspire to climb it, you know, large competitions, but if they don't have the art of their craft, they're going to fall off the wall and it's not going to be particularly pleasant. And it's just because running is seen to be this thing that we just pull on our shoes and go out the door and do, um, that there's this mentality of like, oh I don't race like yeah. I totally get that I don't race either now yeah but I'm still excuse the language but bloody thankful that I know what I know yeah because it makes it a whole lot easier to do what I do yeah and enjoy it so Jessie's spot on the money and I'm really glad that you brought that up thank you that's all right yeah and I'm excited to do this with you as we release a few more and talk about some other things in relation to these resources yeah um, so if you haven't got them like definitely get on the website my website and we'll put up the show notes um mm. and links to that in the show notes but all i would say is um please understand that and i hope you can hear that you know there is a lot of work that goes into them and a lot of heartache and to be honest years and years and years of learning a lot of life's lessons mm. <laughs> some of them not so easy and there have been quite a lot of people sort of abusing that and sharing them around and not supporting them and that's your that's your choice um but if you want to empower yourself and empower us to continue doing what we do like we'd really love it if people can support them mm. and can realize that um, what we're asking for isn't a lot to help us to keep all this free yeah. and the podcast free for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Annie. At this point, I just want to remind you all of the resources that are out there and available for you to be using. They're all available on the hannyolston.com.au website. In there, there is a guidebook for trail runners, but that really does encompass anyone, anyone out there doing endurance sports. And there are the six-month training packages for the Ultra Trail Australia for the 2250km and 100km events. Look, I would be using those resources if you need them for a range of events. It doesn't have to just be the Ultra Trail Australia 
The training packages really do kick off in December, on around the 1st of December, and they'll take you right through over that six-month period into May. So I would strongly encourage you to jump online, have a look if you're interested in pursuing endurance running and trail running. 